Second Corinthians 3, or 6, excuse me, 3 through 13. That is fun music to walk out to. Can I just say that? That's real fun. Uh, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riot laborers, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit and genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. I'm kind of jealous she gets to walk out to that because I'd be like, really get the shoulders going. <laughs> um, in our passage that uh, Heather just read for us, uh, this very personal letter the Apostle Paul writes to the church, uh, he started in the city of Corinth, which just to give you guys some context, is in Athens, Greece. You can hear the discouragement, disappointment um, in his words. It's hard to believe his beloved Christian friends would treat him this way. I mean, our, our Christian friends are never going to treat us bad, right? Well, uh, it's nothing new, as we can see here with Paul. They ignored and rejected him so easily, they really let him down. And it's like, yeah, church people can let you down too. There's nothing new there. We experience those same things today. Now, I know most people often come to church to be encouraged and inspired, hear positive teaching that addresses your personal issues, but I want to tell you the Bible isn't written to be your personal therapy manual. And I don't mean that cynical. It's just not meant to be power, positive thinking, pick, pick me up. It's not written about what's going on with our personal concerns right now or how to live your best life now. It gives us principles that we can live by, believe, and practice as Christians. So you can read through a passage like this one today and say, well, what does this have to do with me? And that's the thing. Every passage doesn't necessarily have to do with you or with us. That can lead to a pretty narcissistic view of Scripture. It's all about you because it's really not. So even though some preachers, they'll cater that and they'll read themselves, they'll read you into the passage. It's been labeled as a term called narcissus, which is a mouthful. Um, exegesis is getting the actual meaning out of the text. And then there's a term eisegesis, which is reading your own ideas into the text. That's bad. And then there's narcissus, which is reading yourself into the text. And some preachers do this by reading themselves or you into the scripture so that you're the center of the story. You're the hero of the story. And we know that's not true. You really got to watch out for those guys. Uh, we're not going to do that today, though. What we can do with this passage is get some insights and learn principles about Christian leadership from what Paul went through, not what we're going through. So if you don't care about that kind of thing, you can go ahead and check out now online. You can scroll through Facebook and like some comment about a pizza place, but you're just going to be acting like the people Paul's upset with. <laughs> it's not easy preaching when it comes to trying to please everybody or really just being in leadership in general, as I'm finding out. You speak to a bunch of people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, ages, political beliefs, different stages of spiritual growth. And when you're up here preaching, you just have just a few minutes to try to apply that message to everyone. But beyond preaching, anyone in church leadership can tell you it's, they're going to be faced with some challenges. People have different expectations. Sometimes they're unrealistic. You really wouldn't believe some of the criticism some leaders in the church receive today. Um, 
some criticisms deserve for sure. I mean, you shouldn't consider spiritual leaders or anyone in ministry to be superhuman or untouchable. I mean, they're all human too. But don't accept what they say just because they have a title or a degree or because they're the guy on stage today. You have to have your radar up and understand who has sound doctrine and who doesn't. And a lot of times I'm left disappointed in much of the leadership in the church world these days. I see people who I assume were solid teachers cave in and turn into politically correct culture. They take left turns into liberal doctrine. They adopt sexual, secular views. Uh, they're corrupt. They're scandal-plagued. These are people I grew up listening to and looking at up to, really, and they change their stance on biblical viewpoints just to avoid backlash from the court of public opinion. You know, colleges and conventions that used to be doctrinally sound also, they've sold out and they've gone down the tubes just to avoid backlash. But I'm talking more about undeserved criticism that some, like Paul, get. I'm not complaining either. I don't need sympathy for being in ministry. I love it. But there are times for sure when you can't believe how some people act. Well, you're too this. Well, you're not enough that. Well, we should do this. Well, hey, how come we're not doing that? Well, you're focused on these people on the left side, but what about these people over here on the right side? And uh, honestly, you can't worry about those people because there are so many people who make it worth it. And the mission that we're set for, forward to do is way too important to lose focus over those criticisms. You know, We've seen it in previous chapters how Paul is explaining and defending himself against false narratives, those slandering, trying to undermine his credibility and discredit them. They were out to take Paul down so the people would follow them instead. And look, I'm not perfect. You feel free to call me out anytime, if and probably when I'm wrong. But if you disagree with what I'm saying, I'd ask that you show me in Scripture. You know, if you question my credibility or any leader that you question their credibility, they're going to ask for proof. They're not going to take secondhand gossip or slander. Show me in the Scripture because I'm going to use the Bible to defend myself Sometimes you do have to stick up for yourself as Christians and say, that's not true. Because honestly, if I have no integrity, I have no ministry. So Paul reminds them of all that he's been through for them. You know me, my life, my doctrine. How can you question me like that? And ultimately, it doesn't matter how they respond to him because he's not going to tailor his message to them or water it down. He's going to keep on going with what God's called him to. That's our big idea this week, is to demonstrate you're God's servant by staying true. In verse 3, Paul says we're not going to put an obstacle in anyone's way. We don't want to turn away from the Lord because of our bad example. We want to provide a godly example and give no cause for his ministry or this gospel to be discredited for people to think we're a liar, a hypocrite, or a false teacher. There's already so many obstacles in people's ways to come to Christ. Pride, Satan, things of this world, love of sin. As Christians, we shouldn't be putting extra obstacles for them to come to Christ, but sometimes we do that. We put these extra obstacles and... When you're in Christian leadership, you can't do that. There are much higher expectations. This is what Paul's trying to say here. Credibility is everything. I mean, as a leader, your life is on display in a fishbowl. People are always watching your life, and you could be tempted to say, well, what do you care what people think? Just do whatever you want. Well, Paul cared, so that's why we care. You know, Paul was sensitive to the things that would stumble others and things that might be a stumbling block for those people. And, you know, I can't present myself in a way that's going to make people turn away from Christ. And that doesn't mean I'm being fake. I only know how to be myself. But that means I'm going to be sensitive to other people and not do things that may cause them to stumble. And you're not going to take it so radical that you're never going to do anything ever that could be misinterpreted. But I mean, come on. Christian leaders have to set an example, right? False teachers do this sometimes. They'll put obstacles in front of people like works-based salvation. You got to do this. You got to perform this ritual. You got to say this prayer. Then you're saved. People can't carry that burden. All these traditions and rituals, it not only confuses and misleads them, but it burdens them with these things that only Jesus can take care of. 
For example, in Paul's time, and the men are going to appreciate this, that we don't have to do this. For in Paul's time, you had those who claimed to become, you had to become Jewish before you could become Christian. And that meant getting circumcised. Hello. Um, glad we don't have to do that now. Paul says, I want to commend ourselves in every way as servants of God. You really get the sense they didn't appreciate him. They should have been defending him, but they weren't. So Paul says, look at my track record. Look at my reputation. Look at my suffering for the sake of the gospel. All that I've done for you. I'm not a prosperity preacher looking to get rich and prosperous, promising you health and wealth. Look what I've been through. Let me ask you, are you able to commend yourself in that way? To say to others, look how I've treated you. Look what I've been through. Look at my track record. He goes through some lists, and the first list that he goes through is a list of adversity experienced in ministry. Look what I've endured for your sake. I haven't gained anything but suffering. It would be better for me to get out of ministry, go make some tents, make some decent money, and not have to worry about all this. But I haven't quit. I've stayed true through it all. I've stayed at my post. Paul mentions afflictions, hardships, calamities, things that we can all go through. You know, maybe it's financial stress or stressful situations. It feels like the walls are closing in and they lead to depression. He says, but more than that, I've endured beatings, imprisonments, riots, opposition, and suffering inflicted for my ministry in preaching Christ to get the gospel to the people. Paul's body bore the marks of beating and whipping. It's covered in scars. He'd been kept in prison and suffered, and suffered through mob violence against him. I've also made serious sacrifices for ministry, hard work that wore me out to exhaustion, going without sleep or food. What more do I have to do to prove myself to show you I'm the real deal? I mean, what a price Paul paid for his ministry. I've done this for you, so how can you doubt my love for you? I want you to appreciate the importance of the gospel because you may have to face similar things yourselves. How many in ministry go through this kind of th thing today, you're probably wondering. You know, obviously, Paul went through that, but how many people go through this kind of thing today? Well, here in America, honestly, not very many, or not all. I'm not going to get imprisoned or beaten for preaching Christ, but around the world, there are a lot of people that go through this. We have it easy here. There's little risk. But true ministers, no matter how high or low the difficulty is, they suffer for their people. And even on the toughest days, it is all worth it. How many Christians would be willing to suffer like that for Christ? I fear that sometimes as Christians, we become apathetic and entitled. Like we know we're saved, so we know, hey, we're good. I'm not going to worry about these other people. And when things get tough, our commitment's about this deep. And I really hope I'm wrong because honestly, you never know when we be faced with some of those challenges here too. After this, Paul goes through a list of virtues needed for ministry. He says, look at my life. I've kept myself morally clean. How many of us can say that? We all should be able to, but especially Christian leaders. Yet so many ministries have been derailed because leaders are not pure. How many sexual scandals have we seen come forward today? You know, things like the Me Too movement have exposed how wide and deep this is in our society. And honestly, from a secular standpoint, it's to be expected. But it's really sad and shocking to see it in churches. Paul next mentions the virtue of knowledge, which we presume to mean the knowledge of God's word and the true gospel so we can accurately understand his will. And then after that, he talks about patience, forbearance which means putting up with people when they're being tough. Paul was being patient with these Corinthians who weren't respecting and listening to him. It's a vital virtue in ministry. It involves being kind and loving. You know, leaders give up the right to treat people how they may deserve. We can't be harsh and rude. We can't always say what we're thinking right in the moment. We're not living on that kind of level, and we can't lead in that worldly way. We have to keep an even keel. That means sometimes taking the high road. Sometimes leaders fall on the sword and suck it up for your sake. We have to use Holy Spirit restraint. How many of you have ever said, oh, Lord, please help me keep my mouth shut? 
That's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. That's the best one. <laughs> Sometimes, though, when we're under pressure and we're getting squeezed, is it the sweet fruit of the Spirit that oozes out or the devil's vegetables? I mean, that's not in the Bible, but if the Spirit produces fruit, then I would imagine the devil produces vegetables. And I don't really care. You know, Larry the cucumber and Bob the tomato, they're vegetables, but it's totally different. Paulist truthful speech is a virtue. You know, we have to tell it like it is. We have to tell you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. But we say it with love. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for you, but I'm also not going to hurl all this at you like a missile. If I do this without Christ, it's nothing. It's flat. My teaching here is just a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. But through God, I can see people through his eyes and treat them like Jesus with compassion. We serve by the power of God, not in our own strength. A ministry without God's power is flat. If I try to preach out of my own intellect and talent, it's not going to be supernatural. There's not going to be no change here. You're just going to say, wow, he knew what he was going to say today. And there's nothing that's going to change right here. It's not only the fruit of the Spirit, though, that Paul mentions in Galatians 6, but it's the armor of God he mentions in Ephesians 6. Here in this passage in 2 Corinthians, he calls them weapons of righteousness that we carry in both hands. Not the weapons of this world, because our enemy isn't flesh and blood. We can fight using God's word as the sword of the Spirit, and our shield is our faith that protects us against our enemies. God is our defender. God will vindicate us. If you've been here a while, some of you may know me. I started attending this church in fourth grade, and so some of you that maybe served in kidsmen or student ministry are like, whoa, they let that guy on stage. But seriously, if you hear something negative about me or any leader in this church, we would hope that you would come to us yourself. Give us the benefit of the doubt. But remember, I said you have to keep your radar up because there are so many leaders in churches that are changing their stance and acting in ways that should immediately disqualify them from Christian leadership. They sell out scripture in favor of being popular or prosperous. And I ask you, who are you listening to? Like what TV preachers or YouTubes, blogs, podcasts, or books, all these things, are we spending more time on these things than we are in scripture? Some are turning their churches into places that, you know, are more concerned with political issues and so-called social justice issues from a secular viewpoint, and we can't get all distracted, bent out of shape, and divided over that stuff because of what the world says. Instead, as Christians, we have to ask, what does God say? What does Scripture say? We're never going to agree on everything out in the world, and a lot of that stuff is personal preference. But the one thing we can do is treat each other with love and agree on biblical things. It's so important, and it's so easy to get distracted by the things in the world. So many things that are going to divide us, but we have to remember our identity is in Christ. That is who's going to keep us together. How about responding to COVID? Yeah, I'll go there. It's probably going to be a little awkward. It's been a no-win situation. It's so politicized and everybody's got their sources or this person they know or their co-worker's aunt's brother knows someone in the military and he said they're gearing up for next week. I remember that point of COVID. But all these self-proclaimed experts, you can't listen to them no matter what channel you turn to or radio show you listen to because they all have their own agenda their own deception, their own censorship, and their own motives. And that's how worldly leadership operates. They're going to do whatever they want to get what they want. And we can't do that. We have to say, what does Scripture say? We have to stay focused on Jesus and the promises he gives us in the New Testament through our covenant with him. Finally, Paul highlights a list of paradoxes in ministry. Not everyone understood him in his ministry. Some honored him as a man of God. Others thought he was a deceitful liar. Some thought... He was a credible speaker, and some thought he had no credibility at all. Some knew him really well, and some people honestly didn't know him at all. Many people took Paul for granted, and they didn't appreciate how ministry had cost him greatly, how he had risked his life. Paul, like Jesus, became poor so that others could become rich, and that's spiritually speaking. 
They brought sorrow to his heart, but he still rejoiced through it. Ultimately, it didn't matter what anyone else said. Paul was true to God. He didn't care if they were praising and worshiping. He wasn't begging for appreciation. He wasn't concerned that he would get some affection in return. He showed his love for them, but really, where was their love for him? Had these false teachers in Corinth done all that Paul had done for them? No. That's kind of messed up. Some of you know what I'm talking about when it comes to your kids, or if you have grown kids. You do and do for them, but they don't appreciate it. They take it for granted. They cause you heartaches, but you still love them. You put yourself out there for them, and what do you get in return? Well, sometimes nothing. It's like, I do and do for you. Look what I've done for you. I've provided you with a house over your head. I've given you food to eat. I make sure you get to all of your practices on time. You don't call. You ignore me. Why are you withholding your love? That's how Paul feels when he's talking to Corinth. It says he's speaking to them as his children. They'd been swayed by false teachers who had stolen their hearts. And he's saying, renounce them. Return to me. But if you don't, I'm not going to be controlled by your response. I can't let you have that power over me. I have to stay true to what I'm supposed to do and what God's called me to do. It just kind of comes with the territory. But God sees. He knows and he'll reward. So I'll keep speaking honestly and lovingly to, toward you. No ulterior motives or hidden plans. I've opened my heart to you. Won't you open yours to me? Paul made himself vulnerable with a humble spirit. And it really is a shame when people won't open their hearts and be vulnerable. It creates us to be hard. And there's no change that can happen if we're not vulnerable. Let's not be like those Corinthians. Let's stay at our post. Remind you, the big idea is demonstrate your God's servant by staying true. Not by putting up walls and being something you're not, but staying true to the gospel. No wall you put up or anything you do is ever going to cause change if you're not truly open and vulnerable to what God has for you in your life. But more than anything, we want you to come to faith in Jesus and follow him as a disciple. I mean, he's the ultimate leader. He's the Lord of Lord. He's the leaders of leaders, the leader of leaders. Do you know all he's done for you? He died for the forgiveness of your sins. He rose up from the grave for life so that you could live forever. Through the power of the Holy Spirit changing you, you can become like Jesus as he produces these virtues in your life. He offers you resources to grow, the scriptures to guide you, the church to train and equip you. But we're not perfect. I might let you guys down. You might let me down. You know, but that's how we grow together. We're all still learning and growing. Sometimes we fail and fall, but we never turn our back on Christ. No matter what other people say, even when others are turning back, we stay true because we know it's just too important. If you want to make that decision today, text your name 734-304-7248. Or you can go to next at southpointccc.com and shoot them an email. You can see someone at the point in the lobby after service, or there will be people up here on the stage after service. Come find me in the lobby. Don't wait. If you're a believer and you haven't made the decision today to be immersed, we have everything you need, and we can help you with that step. We've got towels, clothes, robes. we even got hair dryers. Don't wait. It's too important. Let us pray. God, I just thank you for the freedom to be able to preach your word freely and to spread your love and not have to worry about any, any backlash that we may receive because of it. I thank you for the boldness that you fill all of us with to live our lives for you and not for anything else of this world. I ask for strength and for boldness for these people as they go through their week that they can live lives for you and that they can be vulnerable to what you have for them and be vulnerable with others so that they can sh show others the change that they've received through you. That's all this that I ask in your name. Amen.